Hey, what is going on? It is Rob Payone, aka Crypto Bobby, and welcome to another episode of the Proof of Talent podcast. Today we have a wonderful episode. It is with Jake Chervinsky, who is the general counsel at Compound Labs. Some of you might know them as Compound Finance or Compound, uh, one of the biggest names in the DeFi ecosystem right now. And being the general counsel, we had a fantastic opportunity to talk to him about the legal profession in the blockchain and cryptocurrency industry, how he got started in the legal world in the industry, because he has an interesting story. He started a Twitter account while he was still working at a boutique law firm when he was not working directly in the crypto world, gained a certain level of let's call it crypto Twitter legal fame and was a go-to name for a lot of commentary on the Bitcoin ETF applications back in the 2018-2019 timeframe and has now served as the general counsel at Compound Labs for the past year and a half. Jake is one of the smartest, most articulate, and really just enjoyable dudes to talk to about the legal world in crypto. So if you are A, an aspiring lawyer, uh, B, somebody working in the legal profession and interested in opportunities in the crypto industry, or C, just interested overall in careers in the crypto world, I think you are really going to enjoy this conversation as always this podcast it is the proof of talent podcast guess who is brought to you by yeah brought to you by proof of talent we are a recruiting firm that works exclusively with companies in the blockchain and cryptocurrency industry so if you are a a person that is looking for a new opportunity specifically in the crypto industry please feel free to reach out to us at any time proofoftalent.co or if you are a company that is hiring right now and looking to add talent to your team we are happy to help out with that. We work with 20 plus of some of the biggest, uh, fastest growing names in the crypto industry. Would love to talk to you about how we can help there. But without further ado, let's get into the conversation with Jake Chervinsky, general counsel at Compound Labs, an all around good dude. Let's go. Before you started officially working as the general counsel at, at Compound, you were somebody who was... Uh, relatively well known in the crypto twitter our insulated crypto twitter world for sharing your legal thoughts how did that actually start why did you start doing that yeah so um it was uh middle of 2018 when i started to get active on crypto twitter at the time i was working as a litigator at a boutique law firm called cobra and kim um and you know, part of my my being on Twitter was just I was a fan of crypto personally. So totally aside from any professional reasons, uh, crypto Twitter was where I got my information about what was going on in the industry. But at the same time, I was also doing some work in the industry. And what I started noticing on crypto Twitter was that all these people who were VIPs in the industry, you know, founders of crypto projects and VCs, and you know, other people who were really you know heavily involved were asking all these questions about legal issues that no one really had good answers for at the time. And there were just no lawyers really, except for, for a, you know, maybe a small handful who were on Twitter willing to answer those questions. And so for me, part of it was, you know, I saw an opportunity to just give back to the community that I had you know, been a part of. I wanted to help people understand some issues that, that they were struggling with. But then also as sort of a business development uh, strategy, you know, I, I thought these are the types of people who I would want to be my clients. And the best way to, you know, create relationships with people who you might want to work with is to meet them where they are 
and just talk to them and try to contribute value. So I, I saw the chance to do that on Twitter. And, um, you know, when I started out, it's sort of funny, I, I started tweeting about the Bitcoin ETF, which was a big deal at the time, right? Whether a Bitcoin ETF was or wasn't going to get approved and what the <laughs> process was, um, we're still sort of dealing with that now. And um, it wasn't even something I was working on, right? So I was a litigator. I didn't do ETF applications or anything like that, but it was still an issue that I felt competent to you know, explore and discuss and explain publicly. And I didn't really think it was going to catch on, but overnight, you know, I wrote a thread about the Bitcoin ETF and I went from like a hundred followers to 3000 overnight. So clearly something caught there and I've been, I've been active on Twitter ever since. That's awesome. Such a cool story. And, and love how you said, you know, meet people where they are. Um, we talk about that a lot um, on this podcast with all different kinds of roles, whether that be sales or engineering or what have you. Um, so much of the industry lives on Twitter. So um, cool that that's where you kind of started and got your footing. Um, on that same note, do you think that that Twitter activity and, and those threads that you put out, that interest that you gathered, um, helped you in finding your role at, at Compound? Uh, no question it did. I, there's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how far I would have gotten without Twitter, but Twitter did open a lot of doors for me. So, I, you know, I don't think it was just my tweeting that led to me jumping into the industry full time, but I definitely did um, establish a lot of relationships through Twitter. So, you know, I'd write something uh, someone interesting would follow me. We'd, you know, start DMing. That would turn into some other opportunity to, you know, write an article or go to a conference or, uh, you know, uh, come on a podcast like like this. Um, and I think all of that together really did lead to me um, sort of networking my way into a position where I could, you know, talk to founders and, you know, move forward my, my search to jump into the industry. So, it, you know, in the end, what landed me the position at Compound Labs, where I'm now general counsel, was uh, an investor who had been following some of what I was writing and was recruiting lawyers for his portfolio companies and, uh, you know, asked me if I wanted to chat. We had, a, you know, half hour conversation and, you know, just sort of generally about what I was interested in, what, you know, he was investing in, what was going on in this space. And it ended with him asking me, are you interested in jumping to the company side? Uh, and at the time, I really was interested in that. And that is, you know, in the end, what led to my being introduced to Robert Leshner, the CEO at Compound. And the funny thing is, the first thing that he said to me when we were connected by email was, hey, Jake big fan of your Twitter account. So clearly he <laughs> sort of knew what I had been doing. So I mean, yeah. no question, it was, it was uh, hugely important to, to my career path. I think just overall, it's, it's a great point to, as far as what you said initially, where you, know, you were talking about, hey, you know, I, I wrote a thread about the Bitcoin ETF and I was not necessarily a, a lawyer who specialized in the ETFs, but or ETF listings or approval, etc. Uh, but the fact that you had more knowledge than I'm sure 99.9% of crypto Twitter, many of whom were commenting on the possibility of, of having the ETF. So I think just like a lesson on that is it, it seems like, you know, having the guts to kind of put yourself out there, um, you know, when you do have some element of, of knowledge on a topic, whether it be in the legal space or engineering or marketing or sales or whatever it is, and when you have that element of, of knowledge, it's, it's worth sharing your thoughts, um, which I think is fun. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, you know, I do think this applies to basically all of sales and marketing, but I think lawyers specifically have the misunderstanding that when they're pitching clients, they have to be super specific in saying, here's the exact thing that I want you to pay me to do for you. And if you're not interested in that, I'm going to move on to somebody else. And that's just not how, that's not how networking works. And that's not how the business world works, right? So aside from just sort of being a good member of a community and wanting to contribute, there's so much to be gained from just putting out information that is valuable to people, whether it's obvious how it's going to fit into your work or your career path or whatever product you're selling or not, just being a source of information and being valuable to people will pay dividends in one way or another. So that's, that's something I think is really important. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great point. And I think just like thinking to, um, and, and having worked on a few legal positions at Proof of Talent, we help, we've helped some companies hire corporate counsels or general counsels. And it's been interesting because previously to that, I really haven't had much exposure to the legal field whatsoever. And seeing the transition from somebody who works at a, either a big law firm or a more boutique law firm into a kind of in-house role in the crypto space, I think there's maybe a lot of internal debates that that individual might have. I would love to understand how you evaluated the pros and cons between like staying in uh, either, you know, kind of law firm world with Cobra and Kim versus going to work at Compound Labs or at somewhere else in the crypto space? Uh, sure. So, um, I mean, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I have nothing bad at all to say about the firms where I worked. I think they're great places for the right people. Um, in the end, I worked for two different firms and neither was just right for me long-term. So I, I started my career at a big law firm called Baker McKenzie, which has thousands of lawyers and dozens of offices around the world. Um, and the second firm where I was before I jumped into crypto is called Cobra and Kim. Like I said, it's a boutique, maybe 150 lawyers, much smaller, much more focused, many fewer offices. And then those two firms differed in um, sort of what the work was like on a day-to-day -day basis and what the career paths were like. But for me personally, I just wasn't taking the kind of professional satisfaction and personal enjoyment that I think I wanted to and that people do who succeed in that environment from the work I was doing. So, you know, when you're in that environment, you have very little control over the cases that you have. It's a constant battle for billable hours and, uh, you know, to bring in cases to the firm. And um, it's really the business of law in some ways more than the practice of law. And then also for me personally, as a litigator, my job, and especially in cases related to crypto, was coming in after something had gone wrong and trying to clean up the mess. So a lot of what I was doing was working for either investors who had lost money on ICOs and wanted to sue the ICO issuer to get their money back, or um, sort of similar ICO projects that were getting subpoenas from the, the SEC or the CFTC or uh, crypto companies that were you know, getting inquiries from the FBI and, and things like that. And it just, for me personally, didn't feel very constructive. I, I am a true believer in this industry and I wanted to do work that I felt like was moving the ball forward that was constructive for the industry as opposed to just sort of cleaning up the mess of what had happened in, in 2017. Um, so that was sort of a, a big part of it for me was just wanting to refocus my day-to-day -day and, and what I was, was working on. I think also, um, you know, sort of from a professional uh, opportunity perspective and a financial perspective, 
the partnership track at a law firm is a brutal and grueling life, right? You grind it out all day, every day in the hopes of making partners so that you can keep grinding it out all day, every day. So the, the common saying is it's like winning a pie eating contest where the, the prize is more pie. It's what becoming a partner at a law firm is like. And that just wasn't, it wasn't really very attractive to me personally. Some people it's great for, um, but it, it just wasn't going to be sort of my thing. So that's why I decided, you know, I love crypto. I don't really want to be told to work on cases that have nothing to do with this space. I just want to focus on a project that I'm really excited and passionate about. And I was, I was really lucky to be able to find that at Compound. Got it. And, and t- kind of a, a two-part question on, on that similar topic, like as you transitioned from, you know, your boutique firm you're at, um, what was the reaction from your former, former colleagues on that move? And then also like, I got to imagine you're not the only one that's ever considered or, or consider or looks at the crypto industry as like this kind of green field where there's lots of opportunity, lots of kind of um, mystery, like, you know, what was their reaction? And do you think you're the only one? Like, is this trend going to continue? Um, the reaction I would say was mixed. I think it depended a lot on how much people knew about crypto. So, you know, I think we underestimate how much the traditional world still views this entire space as like a criminal enterprise or a scam or a Ponzi scheme or something, right? There, there are a lot of lawyers who really don't understand what's going on here. And I think most of them thought I was crazy. Um, which was fine with me, right? Because if you're, if no one thinks what you're doing is crazy, then you're probably not doing anything too interesting. Um, some of them who didn't understand crypto at least understood that I was taking a position as general counsel, which is the top job when it comes to in-house positions, um, and at a startup that was backed by some really well-respected venture capital firms. So, you know, the the line that I gave to people who really didn't understand what was going on here was. It's a tech startup backed by Andreessen Horowitz and Bain Capital. And, and really all I had to say was that. And they were like, oh, okay, that sounds great. <laughs> um, but then, you know, honestly, there are some lawyers who do understand crypto and um, who really want to work in this space and see the potential. And they were thrilled for me. And I, I think, um, you know, totally understood sort of what it was that I was getting myself into. In terms of the trend, you know, is this going to continue? I think absolutely yes. I think that in general, the crypto industry is on a path toward professionalization and maturity, right? So like in the very early days of Bitcoin, with all due respect to the folks who were involved then, right? They, they, um, they saw this before the rest of us did, but um, you know, it was really a lot of like anarcho-capitalists, libertarians and crypto anarchists and, and that type. And what we're seeing in the last few years is a migration of folks who are maybe a little more traditional to understanding the promise of this technology. And I think that will only continue as understanding of the space grows and as the opportunities grow. So I think I'm, I'm the first, not, not the first, but I'm among the first of many lawyers who are going to start focusing on this industry as the years go on. Mm-hmm. Looking at the working professionally in, especially in the legal field, but uh, working professionally in the blockchain and cryptocurrency industry versus what you were doing previously, what, if anything, has has like surprised you about the differences between the two? Um, I think I think the biggest surprise for me is how collaborative 
the industry is. So, and as part of this comes from my background as a litigator, right? So when you are in litigation or government enforcement defense, which was a lot of my practice, basically every single day is characterized by hostility and adverse relations in one way or another, right? There's an opposing party in every case and you are fighting against that opposing party. And for me personally, just shifting to sort of like the corporate transactional side, which is more of what I do now, and also being a member of this industry um, where we're all sort of working together to try to build uh, you know, an ecosystem. We're not really as competitive as I think some entrenched industries are. For me, it was just a surprise to be able to work sort of, you know, collaboratively with people at other companies. So, you know, all of the DeFi projects, uh, for the most part, we're very close with each other. And some of the lawyers that I talk to the most are in-house counsel at other DeFi projects. So that, that was sort of a surprise. And I think, um, you know, what a lot of people say about going in-house is that it can be very lonely as a lawyer, because when you're in a law firm, one of the great things is you can walk down the hallway to your, you know, your neighbor's office and your neighbor is one of the best lawyers in the world on securities issues or on commodities issues or on tax issues or whatever. And you've always got that environment where you've got really smart people you can just bounce ideas off of. And, you know, I'm the only lawyer in-house at Compound Labs. So I, I sort of feared that I might feel sort of lonely as a lawyer surrounded by engineers. Um, but I've been surprised to just to see how collaborative the space is and how many other lawyers there are who are willing to have those kinds of conversations. It is it is funny, and it's a good point, too, because I think the Ethereum world, like there's now the big focus in DeFi on compostability and kind of like building these Lego blocks. And I think just generally speaking, the crypto industry as a whole is still relatively small to the point where like people are still pretty friendly and like not as adversarial professionally as as in other industries um but then especially in like the DeFi space in particular that level of like compostability and and projects and companies working together i think it's it's interesting to see kind of how that lends to like relatively friendly friendly relationships and, and people kind of working together for the best interests of of the industry as a whole Right. And I think it, it reflects, in part, it reflects the open source movement in general, right? Like the concept of open source is we're not trying to create proprietary systems where if you infringe on our intellectual property rights, we're going to sue you in court. That's just sort of not the ethos of the, of the industry. And then also it's just, it's so early, right? We're still collectively trying to grow the market. We don't need to fight over market share. And in fact, many of us are you know, software developers building open protocols that are, are designed not to be our property anyway. So we're not even trying to fight for, you know, revenue or customers or anything like that. Um, th look, it might not last that way. There, there's, uh, you know, in 20 years or something, there could be uh, a crypto industry that looks like today's finance industry, where it sort of is all encompassing in terms of global finance. And all there is to do is fight with each other over offering better products and services. But that's just not how it is right now. And I think it, it makes for a much, uh, much better existence and just a, a lot more fun and exciting times. Yeah, definitely. And, and so it sounds like you have, you know, a good, there's like a good support system within the legal space within crypto. So you, it's, it sounds like you guys communicate often, collaborate on different things, you know, bounce ideas off each other. Um, and, and the question is kind of who has been the most influential person either in your crypto career thus far or in your career leading up to the decision to get into the industry? Yeah. Um, 
I'll give you I'll give you one of each. So um, leading up to my crypto career, the most influential person for me is this is probably not a name that you'll have heard before, but it was uh, one of my colleagues at my firm, Bo Barnes, who's a national security lawyer who actually does work in crypto. Um, just you know, isn't one of the crazy people who decides to jump on crypto Twitter and you know scream <laughs> about about Bitcoin and stuff like that. But you know, he was the guy who was there for me when I, you know, needed to bounce ideas off of someone or when, you know, I had said something inflammatory on Twitter and my firm was, you know, upset about it because I was, you know, maybe uh, saying the wrong thing or being too aggressive or whatever. And he, he really was the person who helped me sort of navigate the weirdness and the difficulty of putting myself out there in a way that most lawyers don't. And you have to you have to remember most lawyers are very risk averse by nature. They're very afraid of getting anything wrong in public, and they're very afraid of taking career risk. And that's why I think a lot of people do end up sort of stuck on this partnership track at law firms because it's just it's an easy path that's it's not easy to navigate, but it's clear, right? It's laid out in front of you. You don't have to make a whole lot of decisions. You get told what to do, and then you just try to accomplish that. And you know that wasn't my my goal, and Bo is the one who was able to sort of talk me down from the ledge when I would feel like, oh man, what I'm doing is really crazy. This is stupid. Um, and I think everyone just needs someone like that who's, uh, you know, uh, they understand enough about what you're doing to offer helpful advice, but but also they're sort of more friends or mentors than you know business partners, and and that's what he was for me. Um, I think since I've gotten into the industry, um, the most influential person, I'm, I'm not sure if that's quite the right word, but I would say um, Jason Somansato, who's the senior counsel at Zero X, another DeFi company. Uh, and, you know, Jason and I, similarly, you know, he's a friend and also uh, to some degree a mentor. We are co-chairs of the DeFi working group at the Blockchain Association, which is a um, a trade association in DC. So we work on a lot of policy issues together. And he's just, he's the guy where when crazy things are happening in the DeFi space, right? Sushi swap launches and all of a sudden it has a <laughs> just, billion just dollars. A billion in dollars in TVL. <laughs> no, no big deal, right? And and uh, and it's like, oh my God, what is going on here? Right. He's the lawyer I can talk to um to you know sort of have like those open and honest conversations and you know i hope that i i sort of serve the same role for him but again you have to find that in this kind mm -hmm. of space or it'll get very lonely very fast and just thinking about like legal talent that is interested in getting into the space i think there's there's kind of two different groups of of people it seems like um people that are aspiring lawyers law students and then people that are currently in the professional field and there was a tweet from back in july that another infamous crypto twitter lawyer stephen paley uh who is a great guy on twitter and in, in in real life as well um but he tweeted uh it was actually a response to somebody reached out to him that basically said where would you go to law school today if you were interested in getting involved in crypto um and you had a response to that, but I'd love to hear just your thoughts uh, as far as recommendations for you know, if somebody is an aspiring law lawyer in maybe undergrad right now or trying to apply for law school and wants to get into crypto, where where should they go to law school? Um, so 
My answer, honestly, is the same as anyone who wants to be a lawyer, regardless of what industry they want to get into, which is go to the best law school you can get into that offers you the most money, basically. Uh, and there's, you know, there's a much longer conversation about like the trade-off between the ranking of the law school you go to and the potential career opportunities coming out of it versus how much debt you're going to have to take on to go to that school, right? Do you go to Harvard Law School if they don't offer you any money? Or do you go to a lower ranked school if they're going to give you, you know, a full ride? This is sort of a, a tough conversation, but it has nothing to do, I think, with what kind of industry you want to practice in when you graduate. If you want to work in crypto, you need to be a good lawyer first, first and foremost. You need good training and you need good experience. And I think, you know, for any industry, it's very hard to go straight from law school into that industry. It's not impossible, but the vast majority of graduates go to law firms or they go to government offices, public defenders, prosecutors, regulators, things like that. Um, it's, it's very hard to go straight to a company in a specific industry. So I think that if you wanna work in crypto, what you need to focus on is getting a really good education trying not to take on too much debt, which will then influence sort of, you know, what opportunities you can take advantage of down the road, and then get a job somewhere that will give you relevant experience so that when you send your resume to proof of talent or, you know, to a general counsel of a crypto company, you can explain and show why you're going to be a good lawyer, you're going to do a good job, and you have a base of knowledge and understanding that will help you navigate the very complex and uncertain issues and gray areas that we're all facing right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's, that makes sense. And so on that same note, if we unpack that just a little bit, kind of, so you have folks that they go to the big firm, maybe they're interested on crypto, uh, in crypto on the side, they want to keep up to date, up to speed on what's going on. But they also kind of want to prepare on the side as well, because they know in their mind, they're going to make that transition, and they want to make that transition. So how would you recommend other lawyers that might be at that big firm um, prepare for a career career in crypto? Um, so I, it depends on um, it depends on your practice area, but I think here's some general advice that I think should apply to to basically everybody. Um, the first thing is learn the technology and learn what is going on in the industry. Right? Um, there's a lot of um, there, there's an idea that people have that. Uh, you know, they can understand the law without fully understanding sort of like the facts and circumstances and technology underlying all the issues that we're facing. But by far, the lawyers who are most helpful and effective in this space are the ones who really understand fundamentally what's going on. So for starters, get educated. You're, you might have to do this a lot on your own because there's, you know, there's a ton of educational resources out there, but it takes some time to separate the signal from the noise, right, to understand why... Bitcoin has value and, you know, some coin that was launched in 2014 with some weird name that pumps occasionally doesn't like that, that takes time to understand, but just get familiar with what's going on. Then I would say, if you can figure out if your firm is doing any work in the space or in related areas, it doesn't need to be crypto specific. It could be in fintech or in finance or in some other area that touches on uh, sort of what's going on in the industry and just get some relevant experience as, as much as you possibly can. Um, but then aside from that, you know, 
just write, just start writing. That's, that's my best advice for everyone, right? If you want to make a name for yourself in the space and you want to demonstrate that you have value to contribute, then just get out there and start writing on whatever issue you want, right? You don't have to be an ETF lawyer to write about ETFs. You don't have to be a securities lawyer to write about the Howey test. You just have to demonstrate that you have the legal skills that, that will allow you to do the research and analysis that's relevant to the space. So even if you're working for a, a family law firm and your day is full of divorce and custody proceedings, and there's no way for you to do work that has direct relevance to the space, in your off time, you can still find any number of interesting legal issues to write a quick Twitter thread about, or write a blog post about, or write a law review article about, and just get it out there and I promise you, the lawyers of the industry will see it. Right? We, are, we are in so much need of good legal analysis, and there are so many issues out there that we are just starting to grapple with. If you write something smart, we will see it, and you will make a name for yourself. So that's my best advice. Just start writing. That's, that's great feedback. And, you know, he mentioned it a little bit beforehand, but especially, and it's, it's crazy to think about where things have come in the past year or two but even in the past like month like right now crypto is moving at the speed of light and it is feels basically impossible to keep up with everything that's happening and obviously somebody in in your position or somebody in an equivalent position whether in-house or at a big law firm like to keep up with what's happening with yams and and sushi and the governance implications of of that is it's it's got to be near impossible but i would love to hear how somebody in your position right now you know, looks at keeping up with the space in the most efficient way possible because you could literally not sleep right now and still not digest what's all going on. Uh, yeah, and many of us are doing exactly that. We're not <laughs> sleeping and we still do not know what is going on in this in this space. Um, so I think there's there's two parts to it. I think there's, for starters, you need the foundation. You need to understand what a blockchain is, right? You need to understand what proof of work is and what a consensus algorithm is. And, you know, for that stuff, um, I mean, honestly, the way I learned a lot of that was by watching YouTube videos of Andreas Antonopoulos, you know, doing seminars explaining how, uh, you know, hashing works and why blockchains are secure and things like that. So I think for starters, before you jump into like, what is sushi swap, you have to, you have to first just understand what's going on here. What is Bitcoin? Why does it have value? Um, so I think, you know, you, you can, you can lose yourself in YouTube watching a lot of really unhelpful stuff, but I think if you go to the Nakamoto Institute, you can find good material. If you go to some other sort of reliable sources, um, honestly, even, you know, the institutions like Coinbase often put out really good information because they want to explain to people why they should get an account at the exchange and buy some Bitcoin, <laughs> um, Grayscale, you know, places like that, um, just get some good, basic, reliable information. Once you've got the foundation, to me, the best ways to stay up to date on the day-to-day -day is uh, crypto Twitter. Crypto Twitter is both the best and worst way, frankly, to stay up to date because there's so much garbage on crypto Twitter, but in the middle of all of it, there is the kernel of, of like the interesting stuff going on. Um, so you have to work really hard to separate the signal from the noise, but it can be done. Um, and then podcasts. I, I think uh, there are some really great Bitcoin-focused podcasts. Um, There's some really good podcasts that focus on Ethereum. There are some good ones that sort of do like general crypto industry stuff. 
So, you know, find the ones that you like and subscribe to them and just stay on top of them and listen to what interests you. Yeah, got it. And so more on the, the general kind of industry trends, like with all the, with, with Uniswap, like all this, this kind of gray, what seems to be a gray area from a legal perspective, you have people just drumming up code and, and sending it to Uniswap and people just trading it nonstop all day, every day. Like what are, I'm curious what kind of the legal impl implications are around that specifically and how you kind of see that developing over time. Um, sure. That, I mean, that's a big question. Um, yeah. I guess, I guess <laughs> to start big with question. just, yeah, no, no, I mean, cause look, there's, you know, the crypto industry as a whole touches on, on every aspect of finance and finance is a highly regulated area. And it also creates a lot of, um, non-regulatory legal issues about risk and liability that you have to work through that have nothing to do with regulation, but are still, um, really important to, to work through from a legal perspective. Um, I think where we are in DeFi right now is we're, we're struggling with the nuanced issues of in what way do DeFi protocols change traditional finance such that traditional regulation doesn't or shouldn't apply? And to what extent is this just replicating the same types of risks and inefficiencies of traditional finance that you can't address crypto natively and you do need regulation to come in and try to help ensure fair and efficient markets and protect consumers and, and investors. I think that um, you know, the frustrating part is because a lot of lawyers don't have a good grounding in the technology, like I said, the most important thing is to really deeply understand what's going on here. What you end up with is sort of two different camps on either sides. Um, one camp of lawyers is on the overly restrictive side. Basically what they say is there are risks here. We don't necessarily fully understand what the risks are, but it seems like people could lose money. Thus, there must be regulation of some kind over this whole space. And I think, I think that misses a lot of the point of the underlying theory of regulation, which is you regulate people and their conduct, not necessarily things or ideas, and you regulate them under specific frameworks that make trade-offs between free markets and restricting economic activity in the name of addressing some kind of underlying unfairness or inequity issue. Um, but then you have lawyers on the other side who say, this is all on a blockchain. Uh, because it's on a blockchain, it can't be regulated. And haha, -ha, all of this is totally fine forever, no problems. And I think that also misses the fact that sometimes you do need regulation to address issues that a blockchain does not magically fix, right? Decentralization is a tool. It's not snake oil, doesn't solve every problem. And I think, you know, the, that view sort of misses the fact that the 2017 ICO bubble was the best evidence of what happens when you don't have the securities laws apply, right? When you don't get disclosures of relevant information from the sellers of investment assets who are promising profit uh, on the basis of their future efforts, you get a massive speculative and sometimes fraudulent bubble. And so, you know, it's in, in between those two positions, the overly restrictive and the overly permissive lawyers, that we need to do the hard work of figuring out to what extent does this technology natively address regulatory concerns? And to what extent do we need to think about 
appropriate regulations to rein in some of the craziness. And I guess the, the last piece I would layer onto that is, then the question becomes, if there is appropriate regulation, and I think we can all agree that ultimately there is some regulation that will need to apply to the space as a whole, who do you regulate and for what conduct, right? Yeah. In the traditional world, you regulate the central points of failure or the trusted third parties involved in the system, right? You regulate the custodian or you regulate the exchange. And in DeFi, where you're replacing those single points of failure, those centralized trusted third parties with protocols that operate autonomously, you have to shift your target for regulation, right? You have to find a person that you can regulate. Um, and the question then becomes, who is the right party to regulate? And, and what are the second order effects, the implications of doing that regulation? I think, you know, watching the DeFi space in particular and, and having some understanding too, and previously like working at AirSwap and kind of getting a feel for peer-to-peer you know, -peer smart contracts, kind of how that affects like the legal landscape. I do think it's been fascinating to watch you know, both Compound and then kind of not on the flip side, but another uh, really interesting project or, or protocol, Uniswap, um, which just recently eclipsed on on a one day volume basis, but just recently eclipsed Coinbase in terms of you know USD value uh, in terms of a volume traded, which I think is number one pretty incredible because you see a, a protocol right now powered by about ten people versus a company with you know hundreds of millions of dollars in funding and hundreds of employees and have being at the same level of output because of of smart contracts and you know there's certainly some regulatory arbitrage there but i think one of the things that i'm kind of curious about for you and and compound in specific has done this kind of progressive decentralization where you know, right now there is a you know, a team behind it but you're kind of slowly decentralizing the protocol is that something that is like enjoyable from from your end like that feels like very much new kind of just a total, you know, total, total, uh, just unknown as far as maybe like the legal landscape goes and feels like your team has been very much blazing a trail when it comes to like that real true progressive decentralization. Has that been just an interesting process from like a day-to-day oh, -day work standpoint? I, I appreciate that. Uh, um, so before I answer just, you know, the usual lawyer disclaimer, <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm here just to give you my personal thoughts, not to represent Compound Labs. Nothing I say is legal or financial advice. Um, I, you know, so I think without addressing sort of our specific strategy, just in general, you know, what's been going on in DeFi is very unusual for people who don't understand crypto, right? What, what these projects are doing is creating valuable protocols and then giving them away basically for free to a community to own and operate them. And I, I think, you know, when you say something like that to a normal tech company, which is valued on what its intellectual property is worth, they think this is insane. But, you know, indeed that is, that is what the point of this whole space is. And I think that the idea of it is, what we're trying to do is we're trying to address a really inherent problem that we're seeing in the traditional tech world, which is the misalignment of incentives between the owners and operators of these platforms and the users and customers of the platforms, right? So look at something like Facebook. Facebook is operating in large part, and you know, no offense to them, they've got a business model and they're doing well with it, but they are operating in the best interest of their shareholders, often at the expense of their customers, right? They take advantage of their customers' privacy and personal data to turn a profit 
for their shareholders in a way that, frankly, their users probably don't like very much and don't understand very well. Right? This is abstracted away in a lot of uh, a lot of ways, and what that's resulting in is this internet dominated by tech giants that have an extraordinary amount of power that they can use in a somewhat coercive way, in a way that doesn't benefit us, the customers and the users. And I think the idea of DeFi is change that relationship. Instead of having a company that runs a platform on behalf of shareholders at the expense of users, create a protocol that is owned and managed by the community of users who have the most interest in seeing it function effectively. So that's the experiment that we're on. Whether it works or not, honestly, is an experiment. We're, we're still trying to figure out how decentralized community governance works. It's been working in Bitcoin in an informal way for a very long time. I think we're excited to see whether it can work in a more formalized way using these governance tokens. Um, but that's the experiment. And yes, to answer your question as a lawyer, I, I love it because I, you know, I got into this industry in large part um, because I wanted to work on those kinds of issues. I, I didn't really enjoy being in private practice representing very large financial institutions whose business model was to extract rent from their customers as much as possible and lock their customers into their, their products and never let go, no matter how badly their customers were treated. And the idea here is give power back to the users. And I, I find that to be a really fun mission. Yeah, that, <clears throat> that's awesome. Um, and one last question for me on the, on the regulatory side, like I'm, everything moves so fast in this industry. Um, we all know that, but um, I'm sure that regulators looking in are thinking the same thing. Like, do you think that that they can realistically keep up with with what's going on? Um, you know, as fast as all these, as DeFi has even moved, you know, a microcosm of the industry. Like, what are your thoughts there? Um, I do, I do think that they can keep up, and I think that you know, from what I'm seeing and hearing, I think they're doing a pretty good job of, uh, you know, staying up to date on what's going on. I think you know the. The, the incorrect impression of a lot of people in crypto is that the regulators are asleep at the wheel and they're not paying attention. That's not true at all. They're paying very close attention. And you know, maybe unlike in 2012 or 2013, where you could walk into a regulator's office and they really wouldn't understand at that time just the fundamental workings of a blockchain-based asset like Bitcoin, they're really, they're quite sophisticated now. They understand what's going on here. I think that keeping up is different from taking action. And I think that most regulators appropriately are watching what's going on in this space to figure out where and when action is appropriate and where it's not appropriate. What they don't want to do is they don't want to um, either kill innovation in the space by being heavy handed or more likely in the US, just pushing this innovation overseas, right? Because mm. we've seen that. We've seen companies that say, you know what, we have something we want to build and we're not going to let the US government stop us. We're just going to move to the Seychelles or to the Bahamas or wherever, and we're just going to launch it there. And so I think regulators are being very thoughtful about uh, seeing where the industry has real benefits to offer and where they do need to take some action to, to um, sort of help with the more uh, frothy and and sometimes, frankly, inappropriate or fraudulent aspects of the industry. So I think we'll see that continue as time goes on. 
Yeah, I did see on the SEC's website they were hiring for um, a smart contracts. I think it was an analyst, smart contracts analyst. So you know they're 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 out there looking for people that want to help them out. You know, and I do think they're doing they're doing what they they can to, like you said, not push things overseas, to not be too heavy handed. There is a fine line from from both perspectives within the industry and then outside of it to make sure that things continue to move forward, but they don't get out of hand like 2017. Yeah. And, you know, the only point I'll add there is, you know, we all spend all day, every day talking and thinking about crypto, right? It's a huge deal when SushiSwap adds a billion dollars in assets over a few days. And I'm not saying it's not a big deal, but like Tesla, I think added $30 billion to their market cap in a day after they did a stock split (laughs) this week or last week, right? So like crypto is still very small. And it's a very small part of, of the mandate of most regulators because it's just such a tiny fraction of, of the overall markets that they regulate. So I, you know, they don't have all day, every day to focus on this space like we do. And so I think they're doing a great job of staying up to date without you know, jumping in to, to try to kill a fledgling industry that's still finding its footing. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And hopefully it'll continue that way. And I'm sure through the efforts of you know, folks like yourself, uh, you know, we'll continue to move in that direction. And uh, from Colton and I, I definitely just want to say thank you for for sharing all the insights about your background, about the advice for aspiring lawyers or people that are currently in the legal profession to potentially break into you know the crypto industry as a whole. Um, and thanks again for the second time. Uh, it was just as good as the first, if not better. Um, <laughs> so we'll we'll happily let you get back to farming sushi for the time being. <laughs> all right, great. Uh, it was great talking to you guys. Thanks. Thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks, Jake. All right, bye.